These are the daily lectionary comments for January the 31st. We're going to look at Zechariah chapter 10. God uh, uh, reveals his special anger at the shepherds of Israel and promises to make uh, uh, Judah itself into mighty warriors. <clears throat> then we're going to look at 2 Timothy chapter 3, and we're going to observe <clears throat> what Paul says about the great power and usefulness and profit of the word of God. Zechariah chapter 10. Verse 2 says, the household gods that are nonsense, and the diviners see lies. They tell false dreams and give empty consolation. Therefore the people wander like sheep. They are afflicted for lack of a shepherd. My anger is hot against the shepherds, and I will punish the leaders. So, we know that Jesus is a good shepherd, but the idea of Israel being a flock and being shepherded by shepherds is a very common one, and it's used here. And the shepherds are, of course, the king, but also those who are under the king. Other leaders in the land are also shepherds. Leaders, that is, civil authorities, but also religious leaders, um, teachers, Priests, Levites, prophets of various kinds, all of these are leaders of the people. But what Zechariah says here is the people are taking their instruction from dumb idols. And because of that, they're wandering around. Now, in one sense, God is angry with the shepherds that the idols should have any say at all. Why are there idols? Why are people listening to the idols? Why are you not directing them away from the idols? Why are you not fighting against this? His anger is hot against the shepherds. In another sense of it, it might be that the shepherds themselves are speaking like dumb idols. Rather than directing people to the word of God, they're directing them to other foolish things. At any rate, the people are like a flock without a shepherd, and they're wandering. And it's for lack of instruction. It's for lack of the word of God. He's, it's not just bad governance. It's government. It's governance minus the word of God. And especially for Israel, which is founded on the law of Moses, that is disastrous. So God pronounces special anger at the leaders. He's not the first to do this. Of course, Ezekiel was hot against the leaders, uh, and, and the false shepherds and the false prophets uh, as well. He also says this. He says in verse 3, My anger is hot against the shepherds, and I will punish the leaders. For the Lord of hosts cares for his flock, the house of Judah, and will make them like his majestic steed in battle. Now he's going to develop an image. Judah is not just his flock. Turns out he's also his army. He begins with this idea that Judah is a steed. And when he talks about a steed, a mighty horse, a battle horse, okay? That's what Judah is for me. I have plans for Judah. And it's not to be wandering around like lost sheep. They're going to be a steed. And I will make them like his majestic steed in battle. From him, from Judah, shall come the cornerstone. Remember, uh, uh, Jesus quoting Psalm 118 says the stone was 
He says the stone that the builder rejected has become the capstone. So also the idea that from him will come the tent peg. The tent peg holds the tent down. So in Jesus, all these things hold together. So uh, they, were, they were looking for the stone that God was to lay a new foundation for Israel. This will be the coming Messiah. So from Judah will come uh, the, um, uh, the, the, the cornerstone upon which uh, Israel will be built. Um, he says uh, from him, <clears throat> the battle bow. Remember in yesterday's uh, uh, lesson, it says, Judah is my bow, Ephraim is my arrow. So in other words, he's going to use Judah as his army, as an offensive army to go on the attack rather than simply to be defended. Look what he says in in verse five. Um, They shall be like mighty men in battle, trampling the foe in the mud of the streets. They shall fight because the Lord is with them. This is, of course, an Old Testament battlefield way of speaking of the New Testament command to make disciples. In other words, the New Testament, in the New Testament, the people of God are very aggressive. It's not like in the Old Testament where most of the idea was you, you, you have the truth, but you need to protect yourself against uh, the, the idolaters around you. You need to protect yourself against the enemies that want to trample on God's land. Um, and, and, and Israel sees itself primarily in a kind of a defensive posture. Um, it, it does not see itself as having a present command to go and get Gentiles and turn them to followers of the Lord. It doesn't see that. Now, there's, there's much uh, in the prophets that speak of a future time that that will happen, but, but not at the present. And so Zechariah is talking about that future time when Israel or the people of God, okay, what will be the New Testament church, God will organize as as an army. And the purpose of this army is to go into the world and to the ends of the earth to to bring the kingdom of God and to beat down uh, uh, the uh, uh, Satan and all of his uh, forces and all those who are arrayed against God and to make disciples of all nations while we wait our Lord's glorious return. So, this is Zachariah's language to speak of that. Uh, he's angry with the shepherds because they have totally bungled their role as leaders of the people. But yet God has a plan. It's built on this cornerstone. This cornerstone is the same as, uh, as the, 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 uh, the, the humble king riding on a steed that is coming. Uh, well, he's not riding on a steed, actually. The humble king is riding on a donkey. Um, uh, that, that, is, uh, that is coming. Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you, righteous and having salvation, humble and mounted on a donkey. Now he's called the cornerstone and the tent peg. And uh, because he's going to marshal God's people to, uh, to, uh, to make war against the idolatrous nations and to bring them into uh, uh, the orbit of faith. Okay, Second Timothy chapter 3. And this is a, a very famous passage of Scripture because it speaks about the nature of Scripture. But before we get to that, notice how it begins. It talks about the last days, um, uh, there will come times of difficulty. And then he goes on to talk about what people will be like in the last days. Lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, 
unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving good, so on and so on and so on he goes. And of course, it's not hard, at least for most of these adjectives, it's not hard to look at our present culture and say, boy, doesn't that describe an awful lot of people in our present culture, especially our public culture. It's, um, it's astonishing. But what he's basically saying is that people are going to become more and more callous as time goes by. The gospel, by the way, the word of God has a wonderfully healing, cleansing, civilizing effect on people. It turns them in the opposite direction of all of these words that we see. And as you read through these words, you realize every single one of them, their practice makes the world a worse place. And the word of God teaches the opposite of every single one. It is amazing that people would have such a resistance uh, to to the spread of, of the Christian faith. I, and I don't mean just personal resistance that they don't believe it, but that they actually believe that it does harm to the world, that it, we should not allow people to teach it to their children or to spread it because it's like a cancer on society and it's making things worse. And all you have to do is look at that list and realize that the scriptures teach exactly the opposite of every single one of those things. It says uh, in verse five, it says, having the appearance of godliness, but denying its power. So in other words, there are people who seem religious, but don't have a clue what actual religion or the power of true religion is. Or in other ways, we might think that they have a, a certain um, veneer of wisdom. Uh, as, as for example, uh, uh, much of our vaunted scientific and rationalistic knowledge, but denying the actual power. So it looks like it's, it's, it's uh, from God or from the truth. But in fact, it, it's a denial of all of it. Okay, uh, enough of that. Let's take a look at, uh, at uh, uh, verse uh, 14, 15, 16, and 17. It, it, he's talking to Timothy again, uh, this young man, and he is encouraging him. Uh, and he says, but as for you, continue in what you have learned and what have firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it. Okay, well, one from Paul, okay, but he also learned it from Lois and Eunice, right, his mother and grandmother, and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. Now, the very first thing we have to notice there is the sacred scriptures are able to make you wise for salvation, okay? If we didn't have the scriptures, we simply wouldn't know what the word of God is. We wouldn't know who Jesus is. We wouldn't know the promise of salvation and could not come to it. But the scriptures teach us what it is and teach us to identify the word of God when we hear it and recognize it. So the first thing that the scriptures give you is salvation in Jesus Christ. And without scripture, you cannot have it. Okay. But here it goes on and it says, all scripture is verse 16, is breathed out by God. Now, that breathed out is, is the word behind um, the, the Latin root inspiration, okay? Inspiration uh, is, really means breathed in, but nevertheless, uh, it's the same idea that it is breathed by God, uh, is breathed out by God. And so all scripture, by the way, not just the parts of scripture that can bring you to salvation, but also the parts of scripture that teach you the difference between right and wrong and true and not true. I mean, all of it is breathed out by God. 
some of it, the gospel, the message about Christ, is able to save your soul, okay? But all of it is breathed out by God and profitable. Profitable for what? For teaching, okay? For teaching. So teaching people whatsoever things I have commanded you. That's what Jesus says. Baptize, make disciples, baptizing them and teaching them whatsoever things I've commanded you. The scripture is utterly necessary for salvation, but it is also um, useful and profitable for other things as well, like teaching all the things that God has taught us about himself and our world for reproof, that is, for, for proving and disproving various uh, ideas, for correction when somebody is, is, is going wrong, thinking wrong, teaching wrong, living wrong. Uh, uh, it is useful for correction. So if you actually are familiar with the scriptures, you are well armed to know when your own life is going astray. Um, the scripture will, will help you in that. And for training in righteousness, interesting thing. Of course, the righteousness of God comes by faith. So that's not something that you get trained in. However, living like a righteous person is something that you get trained in. So the righteousness of God is the gospel. It's a gift of God. That the righteousness that you are trained in is the law. It's the commandments of God that teaches how to walk as people who are made righteous by faith. And how do we learn that? Well, the scriptures teach us how to live righteous life. They allow us to be trained in this. And what's the purpose of all of this, uh, of the, the, the teaching and the reproof and the correction and the training in righteousness and all of that? And by the way, the salvation itself. Verse 17, so, that the man of God may be competent, equipped for every good work. Remember that we are left in this world, not because we have been saved but God doesn't want us in heaven yet, so we're just going to sit here and stew and see whether we continue in the faith. He's left us here in this world to be his servants, soldiers in the Lord's army, um, uh, priests on earth who are mediators between the unbelieving world and God. He has left us here to be servants of God, to do all those things which Christ would have done if he were here. We are to be the hands and the feet uh, uh, and the mouth of, of our Lord Jesus bringing to the world mercy and bringing to the world the truth so that they too may believe and, and be saved. These are good works and they are why we are left here. We don't do good works be, in order to be saved, but we do do good works because we are saved. And how do you know that? Because you are still here. And if you have been left here, you are being equipped by the word of God in order to do good works. You're competent to do that and equipped for every good work. That's why God is equipping us as he does through his word. All right, so that is uh, 2 Timothy chapter 3, very famous chapter about the value and the usefulness of the word of God from salvation and everything else that pertains to the life of a Christian.